Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Oh my god. This week. I I did not see this week coming, and I said that we were not going to have any more sane weeks between now and the election, and possibly till the end of the year, but oh wow, this week has just been like a whole month. Like the past couple of days have been a whole week. This this week has gone completely, utterly off the charts. But before we get into that, I want to go ahead and thank everybody who has signed up for my Substack newsletter. And if you haven't yet, just reminding you that you should probably go do that, jenmonroe.substack.com. And I will put the link down in the show notes. And there is also a post up there that's explaining kind of the idea behind it and why I'm doing this and what what the schedule is going to be going forward. And so I'm going to keep pestering you guys until you all sign up for it. So just go ahead and do that. And then I won't have to keep reminding you. So moving on from that to where I've been starting all of these weekly roundups for the past six months or so, and that is with the unemployment numbers. Uh, For the week ending on September 26th, we had an additional 837,000 new unemployment claims filed, which is down from the past couple of weeks. We've been hovering around 860,000. So it's, it's a little bit of an improvement, still obviously extremely high and definitely not where I think anybody thought we would be at this point in the kind of economic situation surrounding the pandemic. But here we are. And the other piece of news that came out job-wise this past week is we got the jobs report for September. And in the month of September, we added 661,000 jobs, which under normal circumstances would be absolutely fantastic. But as you can tell, because you can compare numbers in your head and you've been listening to this for a while, um... 661,000 jobs does not mitigate one week's worth of initial unemployment claims for the month of September. And it is also disappointingly far off from the numbers we had been seeing for the past couple of months. Just as a kind of a recap, if you don't remember, um, in June, we had the the massive, massive spike in adding jobs. June, we had 4.8 million In July, we added 1.7 million, and in August, we added 1.4 million. So on the backdrop of that, 661,000 jobs is quite disappointing. What that means going forward, I'm not entirely sure. What this is showing, though, is that while initial unemployment claims are falling, so are jobs being added to the economy. So this is not really where we want to be plateauing. Um, obviously what you would want to see is unemployment numbers going down and jobs going up, but it seems like they're both, well, at least unemployment for right now is kind of plateauing somewhere in that 800,000 sort of range per week, but jobs added has fallen off extremely sharply and that's not good. And like I, I've, I've been saying, I've been kind of holding out hope for the holiday season to see kind of what jobs get added seasonally, because I mean, that's better than nothing. I mean, they're not permanent jobs, but at this point, jobs are jobs. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll take whatever we can find, but yeah, that's a little, 
a little disconcerting. And I know a lot of people don't really pay attention to this anymore, and especially this week when there's just been so much other stuff going on. But I think it is still important to keep an eye on the economy and on jobs because this is still an ongoing problem. And it's one that's not really getting significantly better at any kind of rate that anybody thought it would be. And like I said, um, Congress at this point, I don't know what they're doing. And especially, especially, especially after the events of this week, I have no idea what anybody is doing anymore at this point. But that is where we are at. Um, Fingers crossed that maybe the fourth quarter will be better. Maybe, hopefully. I mean, we gotta, we, we gotta fix this somehow or another. And I mean, just being able to open up the economy is one thing. The other part of that is getting people back into the economy, getting people back into stores, back into restaurants, getting people traveling again, vacationing. That's going to take a long time. And those industries are still experiencing heavy, heavy job losses. I don't know how long it's going to take to fix that. Probably a really long time though. But moving on to the rest of this week and... This has not been a very good week for Donald Trump. In fact, this might possibly be the worst week of Donald Trump's life. Um, Let's go ahead and start at the beginning. And it almost feels quaint to discuss this at this point. But of course, obviously, right after I got done recording last Sunday, because this is what happens when you cover politics. There's no days off. There's no good time to mash the record button. You just do it and hope to God news isn't breaking while you're recording which is what I'm doing right now and hoping news is not breaking while I'm recording. But last Sunday night, the New York Times released that they got the past 18 years of Donald Trump's tax returns. And I am not entirely surprised that this happened. I forget if I talked about it on the podcast. I know I mentioned it on Twitter, but this all kind of goes back to when the Supreme Court decided that Congress did not have standing to subpoena Donald Trump's tax returns, but the Southern District of New York did in the the kind of role of them doing a criminal investigation. They had the right to subpoena the tax records. I said then that there was no way we were going to make it to November 3rd without knowing the contents of Donald Trump's tax returns. They were going to get leaked. I knew that. I expected this day to come, and it did. And the upshot of it is that for the past 13 of the past 18 years, Donald Trump managed to pay nothing in taxes. The past couple of years, he paid $760 a year. That's it. And to me, I mean, a lot of people got stuck on the numbers and whether or not this was entirely legal or not. And I am no tax expert, but it seems that some of the things he did were entirely legal, like taking your your losses from your business and counting them as tax credits and taking all sorts of various other sorts of credits that you can take when you are self-employed and you have your own business and all of that is completely and utterly legal. Some of the deductions, a little shady. He did 70000 for hair, which I don't know who he's paying that kind of money to for that hair, but stuff like that, typically not deductible for the rest of us, even if you have your own business, because it's tax law is incredibly weird and complicated in the United States as to what you can and cannot deduct. But usually things like that, usually things like 
hair, makeup, and this is where Ivanka kind of comes in too because they deducted some of the cost of her hair and makeup, like wardrobe, stuff like that. Typically not entirely deductible because it's things that like, you can't solely say they're for your business. I mean, you're going to get a haircut whether you're going to be on TV or not. You're going to get makeup done whether you're going to be on TV or not. So some of the things were a little questionable. Um, much was made of the the tax audit and kind of the circumstances behind it. What happened was Donald Trump had paid out, I think it was roughly 92 million in taxes and then managed to claw back 72 million of that in a refund. Um, IRS issued the refund because he asked for the refund and then they decided to investigate it, which you would think that the it would be the other way around. Like they would investigate and then send the refund. No, you send the refund and then you investigate. And that has been going on since... 2011. So whenever he refers to the fact that he's being audited, that's the audit that he's talking about, which seems to have stalled for reasons. Who knows? It's the IRS. I mean, maybe they decided to put it on the back burner once he became president. I think a lot of this also has to do with the fact that Donald Trump has the money to pay for lawyers to drag these sorts of things out. Whatever ends up happening with that, um, if he does end up having to pay anything back to the IRS if he does end up losing that case. I think the penalty on it is $100 million that he would have to pay to the IRS. But that remains to be seen when and if that will ever happen. Um, The more interesting thing to me from the reporting is kind of the, the shell game that Trump constructed with his money. And I touch on this a bit in my last Substack newsletter where I talk about Trump's week in general. But what what he did was, and this is kind of also going back to when The Apprentice blew up. And it seems like that deal, he actually did do a really good job on that deal. He got 50% of the money from that deal as a producer. But he took that money, which was a epic shit ton of money, And he used it not to pay down existing debts or to be liquid or to really particularly invest it well. He bought properties that look nice in the the Trump organization portfolio, but have apparently been hemorrhaging money ever since he acquired them. Like Doral, um, the, the one that they have out in Scotland, there's a couple of others that have just have never made money and in fact have lost extreme amounts of money and... It looks like he's been kind of shoring that up by taking money from his personal account, from the money he's made from The Apprentice, from licensing, from allowing people to use the Trump name, and taking that money and plowing it into covering the losses for those businesses, which again is legal. You can do that. But here's the thing for me. Trump makes his money by selling this image of himself as this very successful real estate investor, purportedly a billionaire, which if you kind of do the math on this, um, I saw one outlet did the math. He has earned $606 million over the past about 12 years. And once you kind of go through the taxes and like figure out between what he made and what he deducted and his losses and everything, he has a net profit of $4.4 million. That's insane. How, I, I, I cannot fathom that. Like, I, anyway, so he takes the money 
he plows it into these 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 properties that are hemorrhaging money, but he needs the properties to sell the image that makes him the money. Like, it's just this bizarre shell game where it's like, basically, for me, the biggest takeaway from the Trump tax returns, and the New York Times has said that there will be further reporting on this, so we will see more, I am assuming, maybe. <laughs> like I said, things have gotten a little sideways this week, but to me, it's just, it's fascinating that he's managed to be such a good con man, because that's what it is. Like, you've sold this image of being a successful real estate investor, when in reality, he is not a successful real estate investor. In fact, he's a pretty shitty real estate investor, because all of these investments are losing him tons of money. And while, yes, you can do this as write-offs on your tax return, operating at a loss is operating at a loss. Like, you don't buy an investment property to lose money. Like, that's not how this works. You don't buy an investment property to have to turn around and take profits from another area of your business to shore up those properties. Like, that's not that's not good business sense. And taking a loss, like I said, taking a loss is taking a loss. And even though you can write that down on your tax returns, it still doesn't, it doesn't completely make up for the actual monetary loss. So... That, that just fascinated me, especially for somebody like Trump, who is so concerned with this appearance of wealth. Like, okay, you could have not bought some of these properties, or you could have sold some of these properties, and actually had money in your bank account, and been, like, actually, like, ridiculously fucking wealthy, but instead you took this money and plowed it into losing real estate investments. It's just, like, it's so crazy to me to think that somebody would do that. Like I, I would read like a whole long form piece on the pathology of Donald Trump and what exactly makes him do the things that he does. Because I mean, if I was in that position, especially after making all that money from The Apprentice, I would just be like, you know what? I don't care. I'm actually wealthy now. I have beyond fuck you money. I don't have to do anything to impress any of you. All of you can kiss my ass. But that's not what he did. And I'm just, I, I'm blown away by that. Like, I, I'm I'm trying to understand the mentality of somebody who would take that situation and just somehow ruin it by like, not e and not even just the investment properties, but even just running for president. Like, he's pretty much managed to destroy the brand that he built, or at least definitely limit the amount of opportunities in which he has to sell the Trump brand. When you could have just left well enough alone, like it's, I, like I said, I would read a whole long form piece on the pathology of somebody who does what Donald Trump did. That just blows me away. But moving on from that, because that feels like it was like a month ago and nobody's, nobody's talking about his taxes anymore. Um, moving forward from that, uh, this past Tuesday was the first presidential debate and I did already give that its own episode. It's the one before this one. So if you want to go listen to that, I do a much more detailed kind of explanation of what went down and how I feel about it. And it's now, well, here it is Sunday afternoon and that the debate has taken on a lot more relevance now and has a lot more significance now than it did then because early, early, early Friday morning, October 2nd, Trump tweeted out because, of course, of course he tweeted it out. <laughs> of course. And this, and by early, I mean like this had to be probably like two, three o'clock in the morning. 
that both himself and First Lady Melania Trump had tested positive for COVID-19. Here's how this kind of happened. And mind you, that was early Friday morning. This is Sunday afternoon. So really, this has only been a little over two days. It feels like it's been freaking forever, but it's only been two days. So keep that in mind. It initially started with reports that they were both tested positive, but that they were asymptomatic. And then that moved on from, well, Trump has experienced mild flu-like symptoms to, okay, he's going to check into Walter Reed for kicks and grins based out of a quote-unquote abundance of caution to, okay, now the president's receiving experimental COVID treatments. Whoa, that escalated quickly. And so that is where we are at right now. Trump is, as of this recording, which I should probably preface everything that comes after this part of the recording with, as of this recording, because this could all be changing right now as I am speaking, but Donald Trump is still in Walter Reed. He does not have a discharge date yet. Um, He has been putting out statements and he did one last night on, on Saturday night and they're, they're videotaped. So he did a little like, I think this one was like four minutes long where he's talking to the American people, you know, saying thank you and, you know, all the, the normal things that a president would say, which, by the way, <laughs> this this last video was rather interesting because he, Trump actually sounded like a normal president. Like, he wasn't his normal dickhead self. And I think what ended up happening, if I had to guess, is that Donald Trump kind of had his oh shit moment. Like, you know, when you get a piece of bad news, or you kind of like you hear it, you process it, and you, you think you're doing okay. And then eventually, like, it hits you. And then you're like, oh my God, this is horrible. I think Donald Trump had his moment where it's like, holy shit, I have COVID-19. Like, this is bad. I'm in Walter Reed. I'm getting treatment for COVID-19. Like, that was his oh shit moment. And so he seemed a little more subdued. Not not contrite, not humble, but a little more, a little more kind of toned down. And also, he didn't have his fake tan and his bronzer on, which made him look like a normal human being. Like, can somebody please tell this man he looks so much better without the fake tan? Like, he's a normal color right now. It's kind of amazing. But he's been giving the, those little videotape speeches. Um, he has not been tweeting as much, which people have noticed that because you can kind of tell how Trump feels by how he's tweeting. And then there was like a whole, gosh, almost 12, 13 hours where he didn't tweet anything. And everyone's like, oh my God, this is bad. But so far, I mean, that's that's what we kind of know about Donald Trump, as far as logistics are concerned, um, he is, like I said, receiving experimental treatment. He has had antibody treatment and he is also on, and I am going to butcher these names because can we please name some of these COVID treatments something that I can actually pronounce? But anyway, he's on the remdesivir and dexamethasone. Now the remdesivir, that is the experimental treatment coming out of Gilead Sciences. And it has shown promise like obviously it's still it's not FDA approved it is in experimental phase and then the dexamethasone is a steroid for inflammation 
it's been reported. Now, this is also a big problem that we've had over the past couple of days is that the reporting on this has just been absolutely batshit of trying to figure out exactly what the president's health is. It seems right now that he was admitted, obviously, he had a very high temperature. Um, He has received supplemental oxygen. That does not mean that he's been on a ventilator, but he has received supplemental oxygen. Obviously, he is under actively undergoing treatment for COVID. So yeah, he is actually sick. And I, I do believe that he is actually sick because this is This is Donald Trump we're talking about. And when the news first broke, a lot of people were speculating that, oh, he's faking it. It's for attention. It's for sympathy. And I'm like, okay, here's what we know about Donald Trump. Donald Trump likes campaigning. Donald Trump likes rallies. Donald Trump likes being out in public. Donald Trump likes looking like he's strong and healthy and virile. What Donald Trump does not like is hospitals. Donald Trump hates hospitals. Donald Trump does not like being in isolation. Donald Trump does not like people knowing that he is sick. These are things that we know. So for Donald Trump to actively come off the campaign trail and check himself into Walter Reed, yeah, this is serious. Like, I ain't going to say the man's on his deathbed, but this is serious. Like, this is not, this isn't a game. Like, clearly he's sick. And so where that leaves everything, nobody quite knows. Um, How this all came to be is something that we've been unraveling over the past couple of days. And it seems like, and like I said, we're only a couple days into this. We're trying to figure this out. Um, Somehow or another, Trump got COVID. When he got it seems to be of a question but what has happened is that the the confirmation, or not the confirmation, the nomination press conference for Amy Coney Barrett last Saturday seems to be becoming a super spreader event because of the people that attended that event, Donald Trump and the First Lady have tested positive for COVID. Um, Kellyanne Conway has tested positive, Chris Christie. Um, We have got, let's see, Senators Lee, Tillis, and Johnson have tested positive. Um, The president of Notre Dame, who was there introducing Barrett, tested positive. Um, Barrett herself has not tested positive, but she tested positive earlier in the year. So presumably she has antibodies. So I would assume she is going to be fine. Again, we shall see. There's just, it's amazing how even six months into this, there's still so much we don't entirely know about spread and testing and who who does have antibodies, who doesn't, how long do these antibodies last. There, there's still so much we don't know. And that's kind of part of trying to figure this out is that we're not entirely sure how this happened. So it seems like timing wise, that seems to be like the event that really kicked off this sort of super spreader thing that's going on within the Trump inner circle, because you have a lot of people who are now testing positive who were there at that. And there was two parts of that press conference. There was the outside part in the Rose Garden, and then there was like an inside event. And it looks like maybe the inside event is where the spreading took place because there was people in close proximity. Nobody was wearing masks. Of course, there was close proximity and nobody was wearing masks outside either. And 
How many more people are going to test positive from that? Not entirely sure, but moving forward from that and kind of bring it to the debate um, from Tuesday. As of right now, Joe Biden has not tested positive for COVID. So fingers crossed on that. Um, They were spaced 12 feet apart and obviously there was no other protection there. There was no plexiglass. Neither one of them was wearing masks. Um, There was a lot of shouting going on, which apparently that's supposed to be something that spreads it is like loud noises coming out of your mouth and you spewing your COVID germs all over the place, which Trump was doing for an hour and a half on Tuesday night. And I've seen reporting that despite the fact that Trump has supposed to have been tested on a daily basis since May, apparently he was not tested on Tuesday, which makes no sense to me because you know you're going to be in a public place on Tuesday. Like, I don't, I don't even understand that. So fingers crossed for Joe Biden, but there are 11 staffers that were at the debate in Cleveland who have tested positive. So whether they got that from Trump or they got that from some of the people in the crowd, because obviously Melania Trump was there, um, Rona McDaniels was there and she has tested positive. Um, I'm not sure if Chris Christie was there on Tuesday But there were people from Trump's inner circle who have tested positive, who were there in the building on Tuesday. The question is, who knew what when? We don't entirely know that yet. I don't know if Trump was aware of the fact that he was sick on Tuesday. The first reports of something being kind of amiss with Trump actually came from the fundraiser that he did on Wednesday in Bedminster. There were people reporting that Trump seemed a bit lethargic. He seemed a little off. He didn't seem quite well. And then obviously early Friday morning comes the announcement that he has tested positive for COVID. So obviously everybody who was at the Bedminster event now has to get themselves tested because that might be a super spreader event now too. It's a mess. It's a whole fucking mess. This is this is so bad. <laughs> and I don't I don't like Trump. I mean, I I think I've made that pretty clear, but this is a disaster. And I really, I don't, I don't wish COVID on anybody. I mean, the treatment sounds horrible. I mean, not just like the Redemsevere and everything, but just the fact that you have to isolate and you can't see your friends, you can't see your family, you can't, I mean, I did, that just sounds horrifying and I don't wish that on anybody. But apparently Trump is doing okay-ish. Um, I learned that apparently there at Walter Reed, there is an office for the president, like already set up in case the president has to go to Walter Reed. So allegedly he is still conducting the business of being president from this office at Walter Reed. Uh, I, I can only go by what I've seen. And obviously there's been pictures put out of Donald Trump looking very serious and sternly looking at pieces of paper at the desk while he's wearing his his suit, but not his tie. Not the tie. The tie is off. I, I guess when you have the COVID, you, you can go tieless. Either that or he's just inspired by Andrew Yang. I'm not entirely sure. But so far, that seems to be everything that we know about what exactly is going on here. Now, like I said, there has been no announced discharge date for Trump from Walter Reed. I mean, this is kind of the period of time. And also remember, we're dealing with a 74-year-old man who has at least one comorbidity. 
this is kind of like the danger zone time where if things are going to go bad, they are going to go bad in the next couple of days. He has already had a fever. He has already been on supplemental oxygen. I'm not entirely sure where that leaves him health-wise, but I, I would expect him to stay at Walter Reed for at least the next couple of days, if not the next week, just to be sure, because like I said, he's he is in a high-risk group. He is in the high-risk group, and he's already had complications. So I'm not entirely sure where that leaves him. Now, obviously, ever since the announcement first came down, people have been screaming about the 25th Amendment. And where where does this leave Trump? Does he hand things over to Pence? At this point, I've not seen anything that would make me think that that is going to happen anytime soon. Like I said, he seems to be of sound mind and body, at least as much as you can ever say that about Donald Trump. And he is still among the living. He is still doing things, apparently, allegedly. So, I mean, if this is a situation where his health does turn for the worst, or say he has to go into ICU or something, then that is something where the 25th Amendment would kick in. But we're not there yet. So, I mean, I don't I, I don't want to wish ill will on the man. I mean, I, I don't like him. I don't like his policies. I don't want him to be president anymore. But I mean, I don't want him to like die of COVID either. Like that's that's horrible. It sounds like a horrible death. Like you basically suffocate to death. It sounds really bad. But we shall see what happens with him. Now, where this leaves everything as far as scheduling, as of right now, um, Tuesday's vice presidential debate is still scheduled to take place in person. Um, I'm not entirely sure how the logistics of that work because Mike Pence has tested negative for COVID, but clearly he has been in contact with President Trump who has tested positive for COVID. And I thought that once you were in that position, once you have been in contact with somebody who has tested positive, you're supposed to quarantine for two weeks. I, I thought that was how it worked. I, maybe I'm wrong, but outside of that, Everything else that has been scheduled has obviously been put on hold pending, obviously, when Donald Trump gets released from Walter Reed. And then I'm not entirely sure as far as quarantine is concerned, how that would work with Donald Trump. Like, would that start from Friday or would that start from like trying to trace it back to when he was actually exposed? When when would he be off quarantine? Because initially... Like at very first, when it was first announced that he was he was asymptomatic, but that he would be quarantining for two weeks, the next presidential debate would be at the very tail end of that quarantine. So I'm not sure what revelations since then do to that timeline. Nobody really knows right now. Like I said, we're two days into this. Nobody. I, I mean, this is completely unprecedented. And nobody really knows what's going to happen going forward. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the vice presidential debate got canceled because, I mean, I I don't think Mike Pence is supposed to be out in public, although apparently he is campaigning in Trump's stead in certain places. I like I said, I don't I don't understand the logistics of that. I I don't I don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know, but yeah. <laughs> Oh my God, things have gotten crazy. 
things have gotten completely out of control crazy. And this also obviously leaves Barrett's SCOTUS confirmation up in the air because as of right now, we have three GOP senators who are under quarantine. How many more will be? I don't know. As of right now, we have three, which means now we've got problems with voting in the confirmation hearing. Now, do you try to figure out some way to do this virtually? Uh, Mitch McConnell has been on record before saying that he does not support doing such things. Do you push it back till after the election? How does how does Trump being in the hospital affect all of this? How does this affect voters? Because obviously mail-in voting has already started. Early voting has already started in certain places. Now you have this uncertainty of, well, now he's in the hospital. He has COVID. We're not entirely sure where he's at health-wise. Like, do you still vote for him? Do you not? Do you wait? Oh my God, there's so, so many questions. So many questions that... Maybe we'll get resolved next week. I'm not holding my breath. And who knows? I mean, God forbid, what if his health does take a turn for the worse? What if he does end up going on a ventilator? Like, what What? What? what do we do then? What is the protocol here? We are in voting season. What about people who already cast their vote? Like, what? I guess they're just screwed? Oh, my God. This is... Whew. Lord, things are going to be crazy between now and November 3rd, and we'll probably continue to be crazy after that. But yeah, this this whole Trump having COVID thing just really threw this whole month into just a complete tailspin, because now you can't plan anything. Like, how? How? We really don't know until we know what's going on with Trump. You can't really plan anything. So as for Biden's response to all this... um. Biden has actually been very good here. He has expressed several times his condolences to the Trump family. He has said that he's praying for Donald and Melania. He has actually taken the step of pulling all of his negative Trump ads out of circulation, which is really just a super classy move. I mean, honestly, the way Biden has handled this, and of course he could have gone low. I mean, Tuesday night, just Tuesday night, Trump was mocking Biden for wearing masks in public. Like, it would be easy for Biden to go low. It would be easy for Biden to even just go in the middle and point out that, well, this is what happens when you don't take precautions. But he's actually been, like, super classy about the whole thing, which... Right about now, I mean, the contrast is pretty stark. I mean, people point out, like, oh, well, Trump wouldn't have did this. Like, well, it's not the point. Like, that's not the point of what your opponent would have did. It's the point of you doing what you think is best because you are a good person. And and that's kind of part of a lot of the response to this that's bothered me is people basically hauling off and being assholes on the internet and using the justification of, well, if, if the shoe was on the other foot, they wouldn't be being nice to me. I'm like, okay, well, you don't. You don't exhibit grace in class. You don't have ethics and principles because of what somebody else would do. You do it for you. You do it so that you can be a decent person. You don't award it based on whether you think somebody else would do the same in kind to you. That's not how this works. And so it just, oh, it's just, it's so, 
emblematic of how we got to this situation in the first place of this this whole low trust, toxic, well, I'm not going to show that person any kind of any kind of grace, any kind of compassion, any kind of empathy because they wouldn't do it for me. I'm like, well, it's not the point. You, it's that's not if that's what you're basing your reactions off of is based on how, what somebody else would do. You might need to back up and rethink how you react to situations. It shouldn't be dependent on what somebody would give to you. That's 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 not how this should work. And if you want somebody to give you grace and compassion and empathy when it is you, you kind of have to to start that. You kind of have to give it to them because otherwise you create this vicious cycle where then when it's you, the other person's like, well, guess what? You were an asshole to me when I, I was sick or when I was in trouble or when I did something wrong or I said something wrong. So I'm not going to be, I'm not going to give you anything. Like somebody has to stop the cycle. And I respect Joe Biden for being the one to step up and be like, you know what? Now is just not the time. Like, this is not, this isn't a game. This is serious. And I'm not going to take this opportunity to kick a man while he's down. I respect that. I think that's really, really classy. And I think that a lot of people and a lot of voters have noted that too. So where this leaves both Biden and Trump, who knows? I mean, the polling is what it is right now. Um, Biden is showing a fairly significant lead, but this whole week just basically upended everything in this election. And now we have no idea what the hell is going to happen. But moving on from that, because there is one more piece of news that kind of got lost in all of this, but I think is really important. And that is going back to the Breonna Taylor case. And the, specifically the grand jury case. It came out that one of the jurors on the grand jury trial, or not the trial, but the grand jury case, filed a lawsuit in order to get the, the contents of the grand jury's investigation released to the public on the basis of the fact that Attorney General Cameron, according to this juror, presented things differently in the grand jury than he has publicly. Basically kind of saying that A.G. Cameron's been lying in public. So on Thursday, the contents, well, at least most of the contents of the grand jury came out. What is notably absent is that the DA's instructions to the grand jury are not part of what has been released. And that is the part that is being disputed. So whether that will come later or not, fingers crossed. I mean, this is this is a situation that is definitely kind of blowing up too because on top of that, uh, Vice News reported that the the one witness that Cameron found that was willing to go on record saying that the police did announce themselves before they busted in Breonna Taylor's door. Apparently, when he first gave testimony to Louisville PD, he said that he did not. And that changed. So, yeah, this this may be falling apart for Louisville PD and for Attorney General Cameron. Kind of important to know whether or not this is all bullshit or not. So maybe we'll get some more clarification on that in the future. Hopefully, I would really like to know what the DA's instructions were to the grand jury, given that we do have a juror saying that, wait, no, what 
what he told us is not what he's telling y'all. I mean, that's kind of important. Apparently, there's enough of a discrepancy for a juror to file a lawsuit to get the, the what went on in the grand jury, which is normally completely private, is completely, you, you do not find out what happened in a grand jury. Uh, hopefully that comes to light because, I mean, this is this is important. We have a woman who is dead now under rather suspicious circumstances. So, I don't know. But I, I wanted to make sure that didn't get completely lost in the shuffle of all things Trump this week because that's that's important too. There's a lot of news going on. A lot of news. So much news. I am very tired. And it's not going to get any easier going forward. Oh, man. Anyway, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, my Patreon page, and on my Substack page. Take care and until next time.